when we think about the power and when we think about the authority uh, that Jesus has, when we think about the fact that Jesus has the ability to do whatever he wants to do, whatever he wants to do in your life, if, if whatever you need, whatever sickness you may have, uh, whatever, what, whatever is going on, Jesus has the ability to move in your life and to make it happen, to, to take something away. He has that kind of authority and that, that kind of ability. And when, when we think about that, when we think about Jesus in that context of authority, of, of, of power, our minds often drift uh, toward the places in our lives where we have uh, pain, sickness, where we have needs, maybe a job, maybe a spouse, maybe money, whatever it might be. Our minds often drift to these, um, these sort, of, sort of things, right? When we think about the fact that Jesus has all authority, then we think, well, what in my life is not going well, and let me pray about that, right? If, if Jesus has this kind of authority to make anything happen, then Jesus, why don't you do something about, about this right here? about this piece of my life, or do something about this thing over here. Uh, let, me do, let me start off this morning with a little exercise. If you have a pen and paper, write this down. Otherwise, just mentally write it down. I don't want you to kind of do like the whole third grade thing where you cover it up with your arms so nobody can see what you're writing. Um, this is just for you, between you and God. You're not going to share this. I'm not going to like pull it from you and read it later on, see if you got the correct answer. Um, if, if God were to heal you, physically heal you, now I, I mean like your, your leg fell off and, he, and another one grows back, like some miraculous healing, something huge, something that's, that there is no other way to explain it other than the fact that there is a God and that he just healed you. If God were to physically heal you in a miraculous way, in some way, and for those of you who are like, like John Parker, he's got like uh, 0.05% body fat. He's healthy, um, abs of steel. Uh, for guys, if those of you like John, you just have to imagine that you're sick, okay? You have to imagine there's something wrong with your body. And um, I'm not, and uh, uh, if God were to physically, miraculously heal you in a phenomenal and a real way, what I want you to write down is, is the why. Why would he do that for you? And maybe just mentally write it down. Just a short word maybe or a short sentence. Why would he heal you in that way? Think about it. I'll give you a second. Dum, 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 dum. Dum 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 dum. Let me fix my mic. Then good to go. All right. If your if your answer again, you're not. I don't want you to share your answers. All right. If if your answer, why would God heal? If the answer has something to, to do with, with you, if it benefits you in some way, all right, he would do this because it benefits me in some way, whatever that, if your answer alludes to that, uh, you're not wrong, but I think you're missing uh, a bigger picture. You're a little bit wrong, maybe. <laughs> I guess you are wrong, now that I think, now that I word it that way. <laughs> You're not quite seeing uh, the bigger picture. If God were to heal you, is it for your benefit alone to make you happier, to, to make your life more comfortable, because, you want, because he knows you want it, to give you what you want? Is that why he does it? Or does God move in such a way, and I'm using healing as an example, does he move in such a way, woo, yes, there is, the Holy Spirit is present. Can you feel the anointing this morning? Uh, if he were to move in such a way, um, is it for you or is it because it does something for him? Is it because of what it does primarily for him? Now we're looking in Mark today. We're, we're going to finish up chapter 1 and, and go into chapter 2. 
and we're going to be talking about the authority of Jesus. So let's, uh, with that, let's, let's get into it. Uh, why don't we pray first? Uh, because I uh, rear-ended somebody yesterday, broke um, my, uh, my roommate's V60 uh, drip thing this morning, um, left cookies out in my skin. I need help, is what I'm saying. I need a lot of help, all right? But I did create a beautiful baby boy. Um, all right, let's pray. And I'll, I'll tell you the rear-ending story later. I'll tell you about, yeah. It's, it's kind of my fault, but not really. Um, my brake fell off, essentially. My, my pedal fell off. All right? We'll talk about that later. Let's pray. God, I do need your help, um, as, uh, as I do every day. Um, I ask that... That as, as I do speak, as I try to share um, what's on my heart and uh, uh, the words that I believe you've, you've given to me, I ask that uh, they are not my words, but that they are your uh, truths. Um, as we read uh, the scriptures, we recognize that these are uh, your word to us, carefully preserved. And God, we ask that your Holy Spirit take these words and that you do something in our hearts, that you open us up in a new way, in a, in a different way, and that these words are no longer just ink on a page or uh, vowels and syllables put placed together in the right order that makes sense, but that these words become powerful and that they become living in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. All right, let's uh, begin chapter 1, verse 21. If you're in your Bibles, if you need a Bible, you could raise your hand and somebody in the back could grab um, the Bibles. If you need a blue Bible, just raise your hand. We still uh, struggling here? Just clip it. Could you do it for me? I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh. Is that, is that better? I think so. Okay. Are we struggling? Maybe the battery's going dead? Okay. All right, um, if you need me to use the other mic, Mark, just give me that signal. It's this right there. <laughs> Verse 21 in Mark chapter 1. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching Jesus. Verse 22. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. Now, in the, in the first century Israel, which is the era that we're reading from right here, in the first century, uh, being a fairly illiterate culture, yet uh, a, culture in, in, uh, um, a culture that really wanted the word, they wanted the scriptures, the demand for scribes was uh, intense. Scribes were, were these dudes who were experts in the law, in the Torah, in the Old Testament, they were responsible primarily for two things. One, scribes would make copies of the Torah. They would make copies of the Old Testament. They would distribute them. They would be for the, the synagogues, etc. Um, which was this like long couple year process to make a copy of a Torah. Um, they were also responsible for, for uh, keeping track of the various interpretations of the Torah, of the Old Testament. They would uh, uh, then, because of this, because they're copying the, the scriptures regularly over and over, because they are uh, keeping track of every interpretation that, that they know of, that's out there of the uh, Old Testament, they then would naturally become these experts in the law. Um, James Edwards points out that they would then be known, they would have become known as the rabbis, essentially. Uh, rabbis simply means masters. So they were like the masters of the scriptures. They had this command of the scriptures. And so people then, as, as, they, as, a, as a scribe, would walk into the synagogue, everybody would stand. Let's, let's try that. Let's pretend I'm a scribe. What would you do? Hey guys, what's up? All right, I'm a scribe. All right, 
That's what would happen. You walk into the synagogue, they, because these guys have this, uh, this command over the scriptures. They knew the scriptures. And Jesus now walks into the synagogue, all right? He walks into the synagogue as he's beginning his ministry here. And he begins to teach. And it says they were astonished at his teaching. They were astonished at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. And what does it say? Not as the scribes. He taught as one who had authority. Everybody say authority. authority. Not as one who, okay, we got, I thought we were going to have the mic change again. Not as the scribes. Now, the scribes, when they taught, would refer to various uh, theologians, various interpretations, other rabbis. They would refer to Himmel or uh, Shammai, various oral and written traditions that were interpretations of the scriptures. Uh, by this time in Jewish culture, not only were they following the written law, which we have. The Torah, by the way, is the first five books of the Bible. They were not just simply following the Torah, the, lo the, the law. They were also following all of these traditions by various guys who have, had come before them and said, this is what this means, and so this is what we should do. Here's some more laws. And so by this time, then, there, there were laws on how they should wash their cups and pots and copper vessels and how they should actually sit and eat a meal on their couch. Um, and so as the scribes then, who were these experts, as they would come into the synagogue and be treated with all this respect, and they, as they would teach, they would be referring back to the, these, the fathers of Israel, these, these people that uh, had various interpretations of the scriptures. And, and as so they essentially then taught uh, not simply from the Torah itself, but they would teach from the perspective of the interpretations. This is what so John said this about it, and so we should... Do this then. Uh, Dave said this, and so then we should do whatever. Um, in fact, in Mark 7, which we're going to get to later on in this series, Jesus is, is even reprimanded for his disciples not following uh, the teachings of the fathers. They, they were like, why don't your disciples, you know, if you're this, this good rabbi, this, this smart dude, why aren't your disciples following the fathers? Do, you, know, you know all these little laws that we're supposed to be doing? Why aren't they following? So, so Jesus comes into the synagogue, and unlike the scribes who are referring to various people, and, and they're basing their authority um, on essentially someone else, uh, someone, someone's interpretation, um, maybe even some of their own thoughts, Jesus comes in and boldly teaches, not from the perspective of someone else, not based on the authority of Shemel uh, or uh, someone else. Jesus begins to teach with his own authority. Meaning, the, the, the teachings of Christ, as he is explaining what the scriptures mean, they come with an immediate sense of authority. Stemming not from someone else, but stemming from himself. And also not pointing to someone else, but pointing to whom? To himself. Jesus comes in as the word who became flesh and dwelt among them. And as he then enters into the word, he does it with complete authority. Has complete demand, command over the text and is explaining what God is, is, is saying in the scriptures, where it comes from, and where it's, pointing, where it's pointing to. And so then Mark continues this story uh, as he goes on to show us this um, authority that he not only has over the scriptures, over the written word um, in the area of teaching, but also the authority that he has over the entire spiritual realm. Look what happens next. He comes in, they're astonished because he's teaching as one with authority. In verse 22, immediately there was in the, their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? 
I know who you are, the Holy One of God. By the way, let's just, a little side note, let that sit, sit with you. There's an unclean spirit, a demon, in the spiritual realm, who now is speaking to Jesus, and he knows who Jesus is, and says, haven't you come to destroy us? What do you want with us? You are the Son of God. All right. Uh, verse 25. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At, and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Authority. That's authority. His teaching came with it. This authority in the actual, like real, like real authority over the spiritual realm. Not just simply teaching about maybe demonic influence or the spiritual realm, but exercising authority over the spiritual realm. With his teaching came a sign of this authority with his teaching came power. We see his authority then in two different levels. One is over the scribes, over those who are uh, the best, you could say. Um, he, he, he was better than the best uh, as far as the teachers go. Also, authority not only over teaching, authority also over the entire spiritual realm. Now, I don't think you guys are quite getting this, all right? <laughs> you're looking at me like, I think you're hearing it, but you're like, like think about this. This, put yourself here. Authority over this unclean spirit. The unclean spirit, which, by the way, demons. Ooh, freaky, right? How many of you are afraid of demons? Right? My wife, she can't, like, take a demon movie. Like, I don't know, uh, demons, you know? Um, the unclean spirit, which once would uh, completely move in, dominate, and uh, um, control an, a human being, the human would become subject to the demon. Here, Jesus is showing that he is not subject to the demon, but the demon, the unclean spirit, is subject to him. Complete authority. Are you guys tracking here? You guys know the movie The Exorcist? You seen it? How many of you seen The Exorcist? Come on, be honest. Be honest. <laughs> Girls walking down the stairs with her head back. Like, freaky. Um, scary stuff. My dad, you know, my dad was like this hippie in the 70s, and he was telling me when that movie came out, he and his roommate went to see it, and his roommate thought he had a demon for, like, the next couple months. Like, he, a <laughs> demon, like, came through the movie, and he thought he had a demon, like... Freaky story. And there's a, like a lot of stories around that movie, you know, like freaky stuff. In the movie, in The Exorcist, if you've seen it, this is, and by the way, a lot of us, when we think demonic, when we think demons, when we think, we think of The Exorcist. Or we think of traditions maybe that have come out of The Exorcist. You know, that's sort of where our mind goes when we think of spiritual warfare. We think of like this priest throwing this holy water, you know, this, the, the, the power of Christ compels you. The power of Christ, right? And he's trying so hard to get this demon to come out of this little girl. The power of Christ compels you and it's not doing anything, right? The demon is still like controlling. It, it must be this very strong demon, I guess. Still controlling this girl. And the power of Christ can't even get, her, get this demon out to the point where eventually the demon kills the dude and all the, you've you seen the story and blah, blah, blah. Um, now, uh, that's Hollywood, all right? That's Hollywood. When Jesus walked onto the scene and there was a demon present in an individual, it wasn't like this strong battle, this fight, the power of, I, the power of myself, I compel you to come, I come out, come out, you know, this, no, I'm not coming out, you know. Jesus was like, shut up and get out. Like, just go. You have no place in my presence. And the demon freaks and leaves. They don't, the unclean spirit, they don't want to be around Jesus. Are you kidding me? This is the kind of, when we talk about authority, when we talk about power of Christ, how many of you believe in spiritual warfare? Like serious spiritual warfare. Like there's a spiritual world out there that wants to, to dominate you. 
when we think of it in terms of the power of Christ, it should not scare us. It should not make us afraid. The spiritual, the, the demonic spiritual dark world wants nothing to do with Christ. And it's not this Hollywood, come on, get out. Jesus is like, get out. Shut up. He tells the unclean spirit what to do. And then uh, Mark, Mark continues. He gives us an entire list of just story after story uh, to, to explain this power, this authority that is vested in Christ. In verse 29 of chapter 1, uh, 29, 30, and 31, he heals Simon's mother-in-law. She had a fever, and he goes over, and he takes her by the hand, and he lifts her up, and as he lifts her up, the fever leaves her body, and she begins to serve them. In verse 32, uh, he's, many, many are br- being brought to him. One friend of mine uh, recently said, by the end of chapter 1, Jesus is like a rock star. At this point, if you read it, uh, it, it says that all of these people from all of, or the entire city, verse 33, the whole city was gathered together at the door where Jesus was. Imagine the entire city gathered there. Everybody's like banging on the door. Jesus, uh, here he heals many. And then Jesus responds to this event in verse 35. He says, let me get out of here. Let me, let me go. Let me go to the other towns. I've got to escape from this town. Let me go to the other towns and do what I came to do, and that is to preach. Preach what? The gospel, what we talked about last week. The gospel of the kingdom of God. Let me get out of here and let me preach, which, by the way, um, uh, little side note, Jesus didn't do a healing crusade. He didn't set up a big tent, put up signs and say, hey, healings tonight at 7 o'clock. He didn't do that. Actually, Jesus was trying to get away from those who were sick. I mean, when they came, he's like, okay, you're, you're healed, 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 healed. But let me get out of here and go and let me do what I came to do, and that is to preach the gospel. And, and uh, he, he leaves and he goes into other synagogues and other towns preaching um, around and, is, and casting out demons, it says in verse 41 then, a leper comes to him and he says, if you will, make me clean and Jesus Moved with compassion for this man. And this is the Jesus who has this great authority. He also is moved with compassion. Think about that. Moved with compassion. Moved with pity. He says, I will heal you. Be clean. And then Jesus tells him, tell no one about this. Just keep this on the DL. All right. He's not trying to get the word out at this point. Just keep this on the DL. We're not doing a healing crusade right now. The man couldn't though keep his mouth quiet. He goes, of course. I mean, honestly, I would probably, I don't want to say I would disobey Jesus, but how, it would be very, very difficult to not tell anybody. And he goes and, and he tells uh, what, what's, what's happened, what Jesus did to him. And at this point in verse 45, it says that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. Wow. This is like the Beatles and beyond, right? He couldn't even openly enter into a town at this point. Put on a disguise. I don't know. I wonder if he disguised. I don't know. So people, it says in verse 45, people are coming to him from every quarter, it says. And then in chapter 2, he goes on. He just continues telling stories. Um, in chapter 2, there's this par- paralytic and Jesus now is he's he's preaching. And of course, where Jesus is, there's this big, massive crowd that's following him. Jesus is preaching in a synagogue. Um, the room completely fills up to where you can't get in. Completely sold out. Maybe a line outside trying to just hear a word or two. The room is filled up. There's a paralytic dude who's been paralyzed since... Uh, his entire life, his friends now are trying to bring him to Jesus and they, uh, they can't get him in the door. So what they do is they climb up on the roof. You probably know the story. They dig a hole in the roof and they lower him into the room where Jesus is. That is intense. 
that's, that's the actions. That's, that's what happens with a man who's got this kind of authority. Like, think about it. God, the God that knit my son in the womb entered into the world. Sorry for spitting on you, Sean. Entered into the world. This is like the splash zone here. Entered into the world. That's authority. This is, the, this is what we would expect at this point, right? It's crazy. It's madness. This man is, is brought down. Now, the story kind of is interesting here. Jesus doesn't automatically heal him, and I think Jesus begins to teach us a little more something about his mission, about why he's here uh, with the way that he treats, treats this paralytic. And by the way, as we're reading this, I mean, it's hard to not let your heart start pumping and beating when you begin like story after story of these phenomenal, miraculous things that Jesus did. Healings, uh, people who, who were, had leprosy, people who were, um, had fevers that were leading to their death and just, just immediately healed. It's hard to, to, uh, to not let our heart start racing at this point, right? I mean, wouldn't we also around this this. Uh, this man, if, if the, the stories, we're hearing them, and we had a friend who's paralyzed, would we not do the same thing and climb up on the roof and dig a hole and drop this dude down the hole? Of course we would. And as we're he- hearing this, um, as, as our hearts start racing a little bit more, we start to uh, think about uh, our, our pains, our problems, the things that we have going on in our life, the fact that we don't have got the right job or we can't get a job or we can't find a spouse or whatever it might be. And we're like, man, Jesus, I want you right now to move in that way. And, and I, I want to just point this out. Our minds don't drift so quickly to the spiritual realm, to the spiritual healing that we need. Our minds quickly drift to the physical realm and the physical healing that we need. Why is that? What we get excited about so quickly is not the Jesus that forgives sins, but the Jesus that physically heals us. Why is that? It's what we can see. Yeah. It's instant. In, in our fallen state, all we have is the temporal. All we have is the physical. And so in our fallen state then, it makes sense that as fallen beings, we would quickly drift toward the temporal and not the spiritual. We would quickly start thinking of the temporal problems in my life, the temporal things that need to be fixed. And... Uh, and that would be indicative of our fallen and immature spiritual state. Um, we, when we hear about the authority of Jesus, when we hear about the power that Jesus has, we, we focus on the temporal and the tendency. This is, this is, the, this is the tendency that we have. The tendency is that we then drift toward a man-centered or woman-centered. I use man in a um, gender-neutral sense. In a man, we drift toward a man-centered Christianity. A, a human-centered faith. A faith that says, if we believe this, then we can be healed, we can get a job, we can be rich, we can have a better life, and we think... That that's the focus. And then we think, when we talk about spiritual warfare, what is it? How's Satan keeping me down? Right? I can't get the job. I can't, I, I'm, I'm sick. It's everything. You know, you, you got some people out there, like, I completely believe in sp- the spiritual uh, realm and spiritual warfare. Um, you've got some folks who don't believe in it at all. Like, some of you are sitting here, and you're like, come on. Seriously, like little demons float, you know, you think it's just all storybookish or ancient, archaic. It's not. It's real. It's legit, all right? It's pretty, pretty literal in the scriptures. Um, but then you've got others who, like, blame everything on the devil, right? I can't get a job. They, you know, I, I, I put my application in, 
at McDonald's and they, they didn't call me back. It's the devil. Like the devil, he's, he's, he's not letting me, you know, I wanted to get this raise, I thought for sure, but the devil didn't let me have it. The devil, you know, I, I'm sick right now. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not feeling good. I'm laying out. And we think it's the devil, you know. If, if the devil's just, he's, he's, he's messing you up, man. Like, something's going on. Um, do you really think the devil cares about your temporal state? Is that really his focus? To make you sick or to get you down or to keep you from a job? Is that really his focus? And I don't think it is. When we talk about the spiritual realm, when we talk about unclean spirits, when we talk about the, the, the world that wants to oppress us, the focus is not to just simply give us a bad life. The focus is to uh, uh, distract us from the one who they knew was the Son of God. If they can in some way take our eyes off of Christ and put it onto ourselves, and that might mean beginning to, to uh, cause us to believe that Jesus should heal us in every way and give us a good life in every way, riches, etc., to take our eyes or to put our eyes onto ourselves, onto the things that we don't have, and then to blame Jesus because we don't have the, that's, that's the work of the devil. The outgrowth then of this sort of natural fallen condition where we focus on the temporal, the outgrowth is uh, uh, preachers, churches who, um, who preach a gospel of earthly prosperity. The outgrowth of this man-centered uh, temporal focused Christianity are um, quote unquote so-called revivals and healing meetings where we can all get together at 7 o'clock tonight and, and we've planned the Holy Spirit we've already planned it the Holy Spirit's going to show up we've, we've got on his, we're on a schedule and the Holy Spirit's going to come across and he's going to do a work and, and, and everybody's going to be healed you want to be healed just come on out to our meeting and uh and you're going, you're going to be healed. Now, Jesus was different from this. He was different from the modern prosperity movement, if you would, in a few ways. Number one, Jesus did not plan a healing revival or healing outpouring. He didn't go into a town, into a synagogue, and say, all right, tonight at 7 o'clock, we're going to have a, there's going to be a healing outpouring tonight. It's going to be a healing revival. And so if, if you've got illnesses, if you've got problems, if, if the devil's keeping you down, Come on out, and we're going to release you of those demons. Jesus didn't do that. There was no, like, planned event. Jesus, number two, didn't host a healing service at the local synagogue. Special Saturday night service at the synagogue. If you need to be healed, come on out, and Jesus can heal you. Um, instead, Jesus said, I'm trying to get out of here so I can preach the gospel. I'm trying to enter into a town quietly. I'm not actually sending my... My, uh, my, my big van before me with my face on the side um, having the healing, healing revival. Right? Number three, his healings were not nebulous, hard to see kind of heal healings, all right? But they were, it was a withered hand that was made whole, all right? It was a person who ha has not been able to walk since birth, completely paralyzed, who jumps up off of his mat. These are the kind of healings that, that Jesus saw. A man who has leprosy, whose, whose hands who's maybe was missing fingers, who had nasty big old sores all over his body. All of a sudden, those sores are gone and his fingers are back. These are the kind of healings that we see in Jesus' ministry. Now, how many of you believe that Jesus can heal? Amen? Amen? So do I. Jesus has the power to grant any and every request we make. 
Jesus has the power to heal in every and any way. Mirac and I'm not talking about like somebody walks onto the stage and they've got a back problem and pastor knocks them down and now they're like jumping up and down, right, doing their thing and their back's all better, right? I'm talking about like miraculous, there is no way to, to explain it, but the, 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 the sign that he's healed is verified in and of itself because, uh, I mean, look at him. You know, he's completely whatever. I believe in that kind of healing. I believe that Christ can and does, and I've seen that kind of healing. But I want you to understand this, and I want you to try to track with me on this. Jesus has the power to grant healings. He has the power to, to, to heal. And if he did, on command, we set up a tent, and we're going to make it happen. You know, I'm going to have you guys come up one at a time, and I'm going to whap you in the head. You're going to fall down and be healed. Whenever we want to be healed, we can be healed. If he did, on command all the time. What we see in many prosperity circles I want you to understand that the prosperity gospel is a false gospel. What we see in many prosperity circles, if he did all the time, if he healed in that way, what it would create, and it does, what it would create is a very man-centered religion. A very temporal kind of religion. A religion that does not focus on the internal cleansing, but it focuses on the outer well-being our prosperity, getting what's rightfully ours. You guys track with me here? Are you sure? Like, I don't know. You heard, I saw, uh, you, you know the poem, I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase, I saw it tattooed recently uh, down at the cigar shop on somebody's arm. Uh, Master of my own fate, captain of my own soul. You seen it? You, you know that? famous line. We are the master of my own fate. I am the master of my own fate. I'm the captain of my own soul. This ideology that I am at the center, that I need no help, I'm completely self-sufficient in and of myself. I don't think that's the fire alarm, all right? So don't, don't leave. Um, I'm completely sufficient. In and of my, I'm, the, I'm the captain of my own, I'm the master of my own soul. This is our fallen state. This is where our minds drift and that is where we want to be. The fall, we talked about this two weeks ago, the, or last week, I think. The fall, what we saw in the fall was man stepping into God's place saying, I no longer want you to be the authority of my life. I want to be my own authority. I want to be the captain of my own fate, or the, the uh, master of my own fate, captain of my own soul. I want that to be, uh, to be myself. And then well, what we find coming out of that with this man-centered religion that develops out of that is a religion that focuses on our health, on our wealth, on, our, on, on uh, getting what we want, on getting our, our needs met. And essentially what we're saying is this. We want the creator, we want him to be a genie that gives us the gods that we really want. We don't really want the creator to be our god. We want him to be our genie. Because, see, we have all of these gods. I mean, name your gods. Your, your health may be a god. Your, your wealth may be a god. Having what you need may be a god. Your, your job may be a god. Finding a spouse or your spouse may be your god. Your children may be your god. And what we say is we want the creator to be our genie, to just give us our gods, so we can therefore be sufficient, self-sufficient. What happens? What happens when you're healthy? For those of you that are healthy right now, you're feeling good, you know this is true, that when you're healthy, when you're feeling great, we tend to drift from God. We tend to believe, we tend to believe that we are self-sufficient, that we are good to go. 
we're happy. And, and we, it may be a su very subtle thing. We may not like fall into sin, but we think about God less. And so what we're saying is we have all of these gods that we want. So we want our genie to give us our gods so that we can be self-sufficient, so that we can be then the master of our own fate, captain of our own soul, and it creates a man-centered Christianity which says, and this is, these are pretty broad, um, uh, I would say fairly popular answers to some of these questions. Why did God create humanity? <clears throat> The man-centered religion answer to that is because God wanted somebody to hang out with. He wanted company. God was lonely, maybe. Why did God choose us to love us? Why did God choose to love us? Because we're lovable. How could he not? I mean, look at me. I look at myself in the mirror every day. I'm like, of course God chose to. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're, look at you. You're lovable. You're lovable, right? So God chose to love you because you're so dang Lovable and cute. Why did God save us? Our answer, he's, he's right in doing so. Because he should save us. It would actually be unjust if he were to send me to hell. It would be wrong. How could a loving God send somebody to hell? It would be wrong for him to send me to hell. So a loving God doesn't. A loving God just saves us. That's his duty, is to save us. He has to, because he's love, right? So it's, it's just, it's right for God to save us. Why does God then forgive us? So we can go to heaven. So we can have a better life. So we can have everything that we don't get to have right now. The house that we want, the mansion that we want, you know, the gold streets that we want. I'm tired of these Baltimore streets, right? So he, he forgives us so we, can, so we can go to heaven when we die. Why does he heal us? It's so we can be comfortable. It's so we can have a better life. And the hidden ugliness under all of this, and this is what I want to just, uh, just, I want this truth to sit on you. The hidden ugliness under all of this is that we don't want God to be our authority. As a matter of fact, we are Americans, and we don't like authority, period. As soon as we bring up the word authority in any setting, whether that's church, church membership, whether that's um, your job, whether that's uh, who, authority in the, in the home life, whenever we bring up the word authority, we begin to buck at it. We don't want to be under authority. We don't want to submit ourselves to any man. And at the core of that is we don't want to submit ourselves to God. We have an authority problem. We, we see this Jesus who has all authority in every way over the scriptures, over uh, the, the spiritual realm, over the physical realm, over your lives. He has all authority. And our subtle tendency is to say, that's nice, I like it, as long as he can be my genie. But if he's not going to be my genie, I'm going to step in, into my own place of authority. I'm going to be the master of my own fate. I'm going to be the captain of my own soul. I'm going to be my own authority. And we turn and we run from Christ without even realizing it. So why then would Jesus heal you? I mean, we believe that Jesus does heal. We believe he can. We believe that this kind of uh, authority, I didn't mean to get so close to you. <laughs> like, we believe that this kind of authority is... Um, is, is it's not something that was just then, but it's also now. So why would Jesus heal us in a certain way? Why would he do something miraculous in our life? Let's go on with this, with this story right here in chapter 2. Um, in verse 5. <clears throat> when Jesus saw their faith... When he saw their faith, remember, these guys dig a hole in the roof, drop the, this dude through the roof, and when Jesus saw their faith in him, he says, Son, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now think about this. Let's just stop right there. What did they come to have him do? Heal him. Heal him. He came for a healing. Drops down through the roof, 
Jesus looks at him and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Let's keep reading. And immediately Jesus perceiving in, in his spirit that, this, uh, that, that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and take up your bed and walk? Verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Now, which is easier, he says. This man's been dropped through, he's, he's paralyzed, and he looks at him, his first response is, son, your sins are forgiven. The scribes, these experts in the law, they freak out, and they're like, whoa, blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, let me, let me try to make this clear. If somebody wrongs you, um, let's say somebody wrongs Spencer. Let's say John wrongs him, all right? Um, uh, what are you going to do? Like, come up, help me come up with a scenario. You uh, smack him. <laughs> you smack him on the shoulder, all right? It was on the shoulder. Shoulder smack. And Spencer's really hurt. Like, ouch, that really smarted. Um, now, I can't forgive John on Spencer's behalf, can I? I can't go up to John and be like, hey, brother, I forgive you. <laughs> Spencer would be like, <laughs> is it your shoulder that's smarting? I've never used the word smart before. <laughs> Always wanted to. How can I forgive John on Spencer? I can't. The only one that can forgive a crime is the one of, who, who, of whom the crime was committed against. Now let's think of it in the context of sins. Our sins are against who? God. The scribes have a pretty legit question. How can this dude forgive sins? How can he do this? That's impossible. Only God, they say, can forgive sins. What's Jesus claiming? What's he doing here? Jesus is making a mess right here. He's making a big theological mess for these people. And by the way, Jesus is doing, he's committing an action intentionally, I believe, that is leading him to the cross. This is the first bit in Mark where we see people questioning, getting angry. He can't be. That's blasphemy. Jesus is claiming now to have the, the power, the authority, not only over the teaching, not only over the spiritual realm of casting out demons, not only of the physical realm of healing. He's claiming to have the authority, the very authority of God to forgive sins. And, and he says, which one's easier, to forgive sins or to uh, tell this man to get up and walk? Now, how would you answer that? I think from a physical, temporal standpoint, it's easier to say to someone, I forgive, I forgive your sins, all right? Because there's no external sign that goes with it. So they're like, okay, you forgave his sins. I don't really believe that you just did that. I don't believe that you really had the power to do that. I forgive sins, Jesus says. I forgive your sins. Your sins are forgiven. And then he says to the man, verse 10, let me read it again, but that you may know, or he says to the scribes, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth not to simply heal. The Son of Man has authority on earth to do much more than that. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins so that you may know that. He turns back to the paralytic and he says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. 
because the room is pretty crowded, right? So that the world may know that I am who I say I am and that I have the power of God to forgive sins so that the world may know I will forgive you. I mean, I will heal you. So that you guys may know that I'm legit. All right, get up. As opposed to this man-centered faith where we drift toward thinking that we are truly at the center, that the world revolves around us, that God's love revolves around us, that God exists for us. As opposed to that, we see this Christ who has all authority to do what he wills. At the core of that authority is this ability to forgive sins. At the core of what he's doing is here to forgive sins. Um, as opposed to, to this, this sort of man-centered kind of faith, what we see is what we could call a gospel-centered faith or a Christ-centered faith where we are not the center of our salvation but Christ is the center. To answer those questions that we asked uh, a little bit ago in a different way, why did God create humanity? The gospel-centered faith, the Christ-centered faith, would say it's to reflect his glory. God created humanity to have little image bearers, little mirrors that would reflect his image right back to him. Why did God choose to love us? Because love is his nature, and God, most of all, loves himself. God loves God most of all, and his image is on us. Therefore, because it's his nature to love, God loves us. The God-centered, gospel-centered, Christ-centered faith says, why did God save us? It's to show off his mercy and his grace when he didn't have to. And why does God heal us? It's that the world may know that Christ is indeed, as the demon knew, the Son of God, and that he has the power to forgive sins. Can somebody say, come on? Amen. Amen. Yes. Thank you for that help. I needed that. Here we are with all of our little gods, all of the little things that we want in our life. The, the money that we want, the health that we want, the family that we want, the spouse that we want, the job that we want, whatever that is, the house that we want. We have all of our little gods that we, we've been wanting, we've been asking Jesus for, we've been asking for him to move in such a way, to be our genie, to give us the gods that we need in order to be self-sufficient and self-happy. And, and uh, we, we thought God was supposed to be our genie. Even as we read texts like this, we thought that meant that God's our, our genie. And we're realizing that our religion that we've embraced is, is not really about God. If we were to line up with one of those two um, ideas, this man-centered religion where God created the world, God saved us, God forgave us, God heals us, all because of us, or the gospel God-centered approach, God saved, God does everything all for himself and what it does for him, we're realizing that we're on the man-centered side of things. We want to be the center because we are fallen and we are broken and we want to be the master of our own fate, the captain of our own souls. We do not want to be under the authority of God. And at this point, I pray that in your hearts, you have been lowered through the roof and you're now standing before Christ and you're seeing him in all of his glory. You're seeing Christ for who he really is. And as you stand before Christ, you feel naked because he really sees you. He sees the motives behind your prayers. He sees everything about you. He knows every place that you've fallen and you realize how unworthy you are to even untie his sandal. How unworthy you are to be in his presence. How unworthy you are for him to love you and to save you in any way. And as Jesus, with all authority, looks at you, the authority to do whatever he wants in your life, he could, he could give you what you want right now. If, 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 he could. He has that kind of authority over your life. 
as he looks at you, he gives you not necessarily what you want, but what you need. Jesus looks at you. He really looks at you. Knows every bit about you. Knows all of your secrets. Knows all the places where you've fallen. And he says, in your brokenness, I forgive you. I forgive you. You're washed. You're clean. It's done. You are really healed. I encourage you this morning to, um, to, to place yourself under the authority of Christ. You can go about believing that you are in control, believing that you are your own captain, you are your own master. You've got to find your way. You've got to figure out how to make a dollar, whatever. You can go on believing these things. And you can say that you will be your own authority. And one day you will stand before that Christ. What I encourage you do, to do right now is to place yourself not under your own authority, but to say, I am going to take all of everything that I am, my wants, my, my desires, my dreams, I'm going to stop trying to do this thing on my own, and I am going to trust in Christ. I'm going to fall into Christ. This is the beauty of church. We don't come together as perfect whole people. As a matter of fact, we come together as very broken individuals. Every one of us are very broken individuals. Every one of us are hypocrites in some way. We come together as hypocrites and as broken people. And at the core, we take all of our brokenness together. When we worship, we take it and we, we, we lay it onto Christ. We say, He's, Christ is the center of who we are. And my sins now are covered by his blood. Jesus has the power to forgive. We, we place all of that under Christ. And we simply trust and believe. And... Christ, by the way, loves his children, and he will provide for his children. He w we, he, we have to trust him to provide. And sometimes his provision doesn't look like what we thought, but we have to remember that we are not part of a man-centered religion. We're part of a Christ-centered faith. So let's place ourselves underneath the authority of Christ, and let's allow him in that place of authority to wash us to forgive us, to empower us. That is authority. That is our Savior. And that's why it's all about Jesus. Let's pray. Christ, we do come to you and we place all of our brokenness, all of our junk on you and we trust that you are indeed this loving Savior who has come with authority um, in your teaching, uh, authority in uh, the temporal realm, uh, the ability to, to heal, to do miraculous works and things, stuff in our, in our lives, uh, the ability to cast out unclean spirits, this power over the spiritual realm. And at the core of this, we see your ability to forgive sins. And God, as you do move in our lives and as you do miraculous things in our lives and, and you give us the things that we really need and maybe that's healing or maybe that is a job or some other things that, that really are out of our reach but you miraculously give it to us um, out of grace, God, we recognize that that is not just simply to give us what we want so we can go on feeling better about ourselves but that Every time you move in that way, it is a sign of the real work that you're doing. And that is the work that Christ did on the cross. This great work of forgiveness. And so God, we do place our trust into Christ this morning. We, we remove ourselves 
from our own authority, from being our own master and captain, and we place ourselves underneath the authority of Christ, and it's right there that we find the freedom that we've been longing for. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Everybody said, amen.